0: Welcome to the Hoops Prospects Podcast. I'm Toy Brown, or TJ for short, and I am joined by Rich Harris. Today, we will be focusing on the top teams and prospects from the Pac-12 Conference, and we will be joined later by veteran beat writer Bruce Pascoe, who covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. First off, how are you doing, Rich?
1: I'm doing great, and um, I, I love your view. You look like you're in a lighthouse on Cape Cod.
0: Yeah, now the student center that I'm at it has a nice little cabin lodge sort of vibe to it, so that's why it looks like really it looks like I'm out in the wilderness in a cabin, a log cabin. <laughs> it looks nice.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, All right,
0: so Rich, so how are you doing? I'm doing well. I had a couple couple different things to attend. I had to go to a couple meetings for my college, Quinnipiac University. I'm going to the MAC tournament, so we had a little meeting about going to Atlantic City. So we can cover Quinnipiac and other teams it's at the going Mac to be at The
1: convention center?
0: It's in Atlantic City. So it's not at the boardwalk.
1: So on the convention center.
0: Uh I'm not as familiar with New Jersey. I just know the boardwalk oh, okay. and the hotel we're staying.
1: Okay. <laughs> but, it's, but 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 the, the tournament's right on the boardwalk? Yeah. So that's probably the convention center. I um I went down to I uh, attended the A I used to go to the Atlantic 10 tournament a lot when John Chaney was coach at Temple. And, um, well, they, Calipari, when Calipari was at UMass and, and stuff like that. And um, one year they had it at the convention center. Um, Chaney and Calipari are both gone at the time, but uh, really intimate little place. Um, mm-hmm. You can hear the coaches talk, you can hear the players talk, even if you weren't media. Um, so, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I had fun the last time I was down there.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited. This is my first time going to a tournament um, for college basketball. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully Excellent. my school, the men's and women's team, they stay in it for a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you have uh, Marfo on the team, and you have another yeah. really, really good player.
0: Yeah, Matt Belonk is probably our next guy.
1: Right, right.
0: Mm. Yeah, but let's, let's not stick to Quinnipiac. Let's get on <laughs> to the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rich, championship week has started. What are your thoughts on the action thus far?
1: Well, um, you know, a couple teams that we talked about last week that we said we thought should deserve to get in, whether they won their tournaments or not. Well, they solved that problem, you know, for themselves. Mary uh, had really close game with Moorhead State yesterday. Exciting game. Uh, and uh, Loyola beat Drake today in a pretty close game. Uh, Longwood also qualified. I didn't watch them beat Winthrop, uh, at least not yet. Um, so they, they're they the teams that made it in, and they've all been pretty close games. One, from a draft perspective, the one thing, uh, you know, we talked about a ton of mid-major proje- prospects last week, and one guy we didn't mention, he's on, he was on our big board, but um, his uh, Janiya Broom. For head State, and he just played terrifically again. Uh, I have only—I think I only saw them once before this year, I believe. I think I saw him, yeah, maybe against Belmont or Louisiana Tech. I forget, but uh, I was just so impressed with his offense, defense. Uh, he's even developing a nice mid-range game. Uh, he's very mobile, uh, great shot blocker. Um, K- K.J. Williams, who's the leading scorer in the Ohio Valley, he didn't really do much offensively at all, you know, a large, in large part go to Broome. Uh, so Broome's definitely moving up our big board. Um, other things
0: uh, – uh, Just to interject very quickly on Broome, I actually never watched Moorhead State this year. So this is my – I watched at least half of that game. And, yeah, Broome was impressive. He's also a freshman, if I'm not mistaken. Sophomore, sophomore. He's a sophomore. Excuse me. He's a sophomore. Yeah. So still very young. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's definitely someone to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, he he. Uh, the first time I think I saw him last year was the championship game last year, or the tournament last year, and immediately put him on the draft board. I'm like, that kid's the kid's got some potential. And, yeah, no talent. Now, and now he's closing in on our top 100. So good for good for Janaya. By the way. It's spelled Johnny, but they, his father says there's so many Johnnies in the family, they had to pronounce it differently.
0: <laughs> I like it, yeah. I like unique names. That's someone that is named Toy Lloyd. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mess with it for sure. Also, Tevin Brown had a solid game for Murray State.
1: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, and so did um, Juice – I always forget his name, the little point guard. Um, his name is Justice Justice Hill. Justice Hill. They call him Juice Hill um, he, he played well, uh, too. So, and that's the thing about Murray, it's hard to shut them down because they got three guys that can fill it up. So, um, the other thing was, uh, San Francisco, uh, beat BYU for the second time this year, they had split, and this was in the tournament. So we, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, San Francisco, BYU, you know, we, we gave the edge to San Francisco, but we, you know, we, we definitely could make an argument for BYU to be in the tournament, but I think that loss probably sealed BYU's fate. Um, you know, they're out now The they didn't even make the final four of the tournament. So um, BYU, they had a lot of injuries this year. Uh, three guys were knocked out for the full season. So uh, it's a shame um, for, you know, guys like, uh, uh, Alex Porcello, who I believe is a super senior. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're going to make it now. Uh, we were talking about Wisconsin before the show. Um, apparently I mean, you want to fill us in on, on, you were telling me about Johnny Davis.
0: Yeah. Johnny Davis apparently got hurt early in the second half of that game. Um, it was some flagrant foul from, uh, I think believe Trey McGowan's if I read correctly. So yeah, I'm not sure how severe it is. I haven't seen it. Um, at least the video of the injury when it went down. But yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully his status isn't too isn't too critical and doesn't affect Wisconsin's long term hopes in the tournament.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, we're talking player of the year candidate there. That would be that'd be a horrible shame. Yeah, that'd be a shame he can't play because somebody fouled him intentionally. Wow. Uh, So that opens up the door tonight for Illinois, if they can beat Iowa to uh, win a share of the conference title in the big 10 regular season, of course. So uh, that should be a great game tonight between Illinois and Iowa. Um, The other thing was uh, coach K, you know, I'm I'm not a betting man, at least not anymore. And if you, if you would have asked me, what are the chances North Carolina is going to win at Duke on Coach K's final regular season game, I would have said, you know, thousand to one, Duke, Duke's going to win. You know, it's just mark it down. And I, I was shocked. Uh, any thoughts on that game?
0: Yeah, no, I didn't watch too much of that game. I saw, obviously, the post game and a little bit of highlights and did my little deep dive looking at the game. But yeah, UNC, they were, they kept it close. They obviously broke away. They won 94 81. Uh, Brady Manick, the Oklahoma transfer, he played really well. He had twenty and eleven um, for UNC. Also, Caleb Love had a nice game. He scored over twenty. Yeah, yeah it's think- a bad. Oh, sorry, it's oh. a bad loss for Duke. Essentially, even though a couple guys for UNC, I think another player scored over twenty. Um, so he had like three, like a, a trio of, of scores for that for that game. Um, right. Yes, it's not a it's not a good loss, <laughs> especially for the last home game that Mr. Shushetsky will coach.
1: Right. Yeah, Caleb Love, you know, I think it's been the difference. I I thought North Carolina was definitely a top 20 team to start the season and, Mm. uh, you know, on paper. And uh, I think the two big things is the guards really haven't been picking up their their share of the deal. Love and I can't think of the point guard. RJ Davis. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh and 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 defensively the whole team has really, really stunk it up at times. I mean, they've been atrocious defensively, but that seems to have picked up a notch, and Love's play has definitely picked up a notch. And uh they're still listed as first four with a bye. I would think they would be in a lot better position than that. I mean, to me, you know, they're definitely, you know, a top 30 team at this point. Um, but What do I know? Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I thought they were the highlights of the weekend.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. All right. So moving on, most projections have the Pac-12, which is what we'll talk about most today. They have the Pac-12 getting just three teams into the NCAA tournament. Those three teams are Arizona, UCLA and USC. Obviously, a fourth team would get in by winning the conference tourney. But is there another path for a team such as Oregon or Colorado to break it in?
1: It's going to be tough. Um, You know, Oregon has been so up and down. Uh, They've beaten some good teams and they've lost to some teams that they just shouldn't have. And uh, it was looking pretty good for them, you know, second half of the season up until recently. Um, they had beaten between the Los Angeles teams. They had won three, four games against those guys. And, um, but then this, then after that, they just lost, they lost a nail biter to USC. And then at the end of this week, um, they lost both to Washington and Washington state. And so now that gives them, uh, let me see here in my notes, they've lost six of their last eight. <laughs> so now Colorado's just the opposite. Colorado's a young team and they had a lot of injuries. Um, and so that's terrible combination. Um, but uh, the young guys are really starting to come on for them, including, you know, our friend of the show Jabari Walker. And um, so they've, they've won seven of their last eight, including a victory over Arizona. You know, uh, that was last this week or last Sunday. I forget. It was recently though, within the last week. So, Colorado is definitely on the right trend. I'm looking, if you look at the tournament bracket, and give me a second just to bring that up here, um, what happens is in the first round, Oregon plays Oregon State. Oregon should move on. Uh, And Colorado then sits there. Colorado has a bye. They sit there for the winner of that game. So that's probably going to be Oregon and Colorado. And then whoever wins this, this is where I'm getting to answer your question. This is where I think they might have a chance. So the winner of that Oregon, Colorado game plays Arizona. And, um, so if one of those two teams can beat Arizona, it might be, and that would put them in the championship game. It might be enough to get into the tournament. It might, but right now I think the only, you know, the only thing they really should be counting on is winning at all. Um, and, and that was going to be my next point is one team I think is dangerous is Washington state. Again, another very young team. If Colorado and Washington state stay together they're I think they're going to be really, really tough next year. Um, and so Washington state pretty much has cakewalk against Cal and then they play UCLA. Now they haven't beaten UCLA yet this year, but it's possible that's going to be on a neutral court and UCLA has been banged up and they've been kind of up and down. Um, so that way Washington state then, and then they play USC and, and I really think USC is overrated. I don't think they're a top 25 team. I don't think they should be a number seven seed. Um, so I could see Washington state sneaking all the way into that championship game. And if they do what it might open the door is for Oregon and Colorado to win the championship. Now that's a lot of ifs, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's the path I see, you know, um, to, yeah.
0: No, I understand. Yeah, it is a lot of ifs, but sometimes those ifs come true. <laughs> if I have to choose a fourth team, um, and you already laid out the argument for Oregon, Colorado, and Washington State, who I need to see more of, uh, i will probably choose Colorado. They already did beat Arizona not that long ago. Um, I like their team. Jabari Walker's intriguing, obviously. Um, friend of the podcast, friend of the, of the hopes prospects. Um, but yeah, I'd probably lean a little bit more towards Colorado. I think they have a solid um, team, especially on defense. Um they're not they're not they're not explosive offensively, um, but I think they're good enough where they can hang hang in there. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I lean in right now.
1: And they're young guards. their young guards are getting better and better every week. Um so uh one's a freshman, one's a sophomore. Uh and they also have Oscar De Silva's younger brother, uh Tristan. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of young talent on that team. Um. So yeah, I and I just they're they're moving in the right direction. Seven of the last eight. So it's not. Yeah, I I agree. If there's a team to sneak in there, I think it'd be Colorado. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And now moving on, what do you think, or which team do you think will likely win the Pac-12 Tourney?
1: Well, you know, to me, as I said, I think USC is a little overrated. So I, I I I really think it comes down to UCLA and Arizona. And um, the difference is, is UCLA is kind of banged up. Uh, Jaime Jaquez has been playing on some sore ankles. Johnny Juzang just made it back. Uh, I don't, this time I think it was an ankle. He also had a hip problem earlier. Um, You know, Peyton Watson continues to not be a factor. Um, so they haven't quite been as impressive as we thought they were. While Arizona has impressed, you know, has exceeded just about everybody's expectations. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll be talking about Arizona a lot more um, with our guests. But uh, my feeling is that Arizona should should win.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Arizona. They're they're awesome. We'll talk more about them much later. Um, but I, I do have a bit more. Love for USC. They did lose to UCLA yesterday, 75 to 68. It was a good game. I watched most of the second half. Um, but yeah, Arizona is the favorite by far in my estimation. But I do think USC, I think I like Drew Peterson, which is weird for me to say. <laughs> Drew is no. second or third best player. Uh, Isaiah Mobile's improved a lot. I think he's averaging close to 14 and, and eight or nine rebounds per game. And he's grabbing and going every once in a while. So yeah, and Boogie Ellis, the transfer from Memphis. Who's running the show for them, or the point guard, combo guard for USC? See, so, yeah, I think they're not totally over uh, overhyped, um, but yeah, I think Arizona is most likely to win this Pac-12 tourney.
1: Right. I I wasn't saying like they don't belong in a tournament or something like that. I, was I know, just, no, I, I understand. I, I just don't think they're like like. North Carolina is supposed to be like like an 11 seed or a 10 seed, and USC is going to be a 7. And I kind of think that, you know, probably those two, you know, North Carolina is probably being a little undervalued, and USC probably being a little over. They're probably more like 8, 9 seeds to me. Um, but the one thing about yesterday's game that was interesting, and it hasn't seemed to happen a lot for them, you know, USC seems to be uh, offensively challenged. And, but yesterday, if you noticed, Mobley, uh, uh, Peterson, and the Memphis guy, Boogie Ellis, Boogie Ellis, right, all scored uh, at least, I believe, sixteen points. So that's that's the that's what they need. They, need, they, they get bogged down on offense, and um, they never seem to have it. You know, you really want at least two guys clicking every game, and sometimes it seems like there's only one of them that's available. Um, I, lo- I watched him uh, in the loss to, I believe, was it Arizona? Or maybe it was the game before that, but it was, it was old Peterson. Uh, Mobley came on in the second half. But then kind of Peterson disappeared and Boogie Ellis wasn't there really pretty much. He was pretty much out of it the whole game, you know, and um, and that's part of the problem with, uh, you know, USC. You know, a lot of the these top teams have a guy that could come off the bench and, you know, give you like an instant six, eight points uh, or maybe even a spark defensively or something like that. And USC doesn't seem, to you know, they're pretty thin you know, especially on the offensive talent, but they are missing Isaiah white who actually played a key role last year in the tournament. Uh, and I don't know what his status is, but if he comes back, he's, he's a good shooter. So he, he would open things up a little more.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, I need to, I don't know. Drew Peterson always boggles my mind. He's six, nine. He's really tall, skinny. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's weird. and he's to see. He's, he's an older player though. Um, so I'm not sure what his pro pro potential, but speaking of prospects, in the Pac-12, we have the top 100 on the Hoops Prospects draft board featuring 11 Pac-12 players, with four coming from Arizona and three from UCLA. So, Rich, what are your thoughts on these guys from the Pac-12? All
1: right, I'll, I'll run down the list, and uh, I'll let you, I won't uh, dwell on them. You can comment um, to uh, – we have Matherin, obviously a six, and he's like you know the I, I, ideal wing. Um, you know, he's strong, fast, uh, athletic, can shoot, complete can defense, can pass, could, <laughs> he just he can do everything. You know, uh, to me, he's definitely a top 10 player. Um, and uh, so we have him as six overall. Uh, Coloco, uh, Christian Coloco at 37 for another Arizona player, great rim protector, great defender. And if you want to know how good Christian Coloco is, just think about. The fact that the Arizona often will play Omar Balo, who's huge, you know, he's like a shack like guy and Coloco on the court at the same time. And Coloco is like a seven footer, but they have no problem putting Coloco on, you know, perimeter players. Um, the guy's very agile. His offensive game has a way to go, but he's, he's not a deadbeat offensively. Um but yeah, so that's, he's our next. The next is Jaime Jaquez. He's, he's a blue collar player. I love him. I just, I love him. He probably never be an NBA star, but I, I'm pretty convinced he's going to be in the NBA for a long time, being a role player. Uh, Harrison Ingram at 41, Stanford's freshman. Um, Ingram, you know, to me, I think he needs to wait a year. Um uh, I was watching him a, a little bit more today, and he kind of reminds me. You're going to have to bear with me on this comparison, but comparisons, you know, it kind of brings back memories of Adrian Dantley, which is before your time, and Carmelo Anthony. Now, and the reason I say that is because I can kind of see Ingram kind of living on the mid-range shots. Um, you know, he's six eight. Uh, he really doesn't play like a power forward. He plays more like a wing, uh, but he has that size. And he definitely likes to go into the paint area and, and kind of try to overpower people. And he has some moves. He also can shoot, but he's only shooting about 30% this year. Um, the thing thing about Ingram is uh, he needs to get more efficient. Uh, and he also, he, he I, I think he's carrying a little too much weight. And, and it shows. He's, just, he's not that quick. Uh, And I I suppose that's kind of another thing that brought back images of Anthony and Adrian Danley was neither of those guys were super quick. You know, they were more um, undersized power forwards. Um, And uh, I don't and I don't think he's nearly as athletic as Adrian Danley or Carmelo Anthony. So he's got a ways to go. (laughs) um so yeah i i really think ingrams has to develop his game i mean if he came out this year somebody would draft him but um if he wants to be drafted in the first round i think he better wait uh jabari walker uh if you folks are interested we have a long interview on hoops prospect site um jabari is to me should be you know at least receive some votes for most improved player um, he played limited minutes last year, but when he did, he was very impactful and that's carried over this year. I think he's the leading rebounder in the conference. He can block shots. Uh, you know, he can, uh, shoot, um, and, uh, he's a nice, uh, you know, ideal type of six, nine power forward with athleticism. And, and even though he's a sophomore, he's still only 19. So, uh, of course, his father was a Samaki Walker, who played uh, in the NBA for, for a long time. Um, the thing about Jabari is his ball handling. I think, you know, if he wants to be a true four and not get stuck into that, you know, five role, uh, I think he needs to improve his handle so he can attack closeouts and and stuff like that. You know, his, his ball handling still uh, some can be a struggle. Um, then we have Johnny Juzang at 49. Uh, and for UCLA sharpshooter Johnny hasn't had a, a great year. He's been plagued by some injuries. Um, but you know, as he was one of the stars of last year's tournament, so uh, you know he could he could move up with a good tournament, and he doesn't have to leave if he doesn't want to. Uh, then we have um, Tabellis from Arizona at fifty-one. Uh, we did have him higher, but he had some injury ankle issues this year. So there was a period of time in the mid season where he was struggling and he wasn't s- so much of a factor. Um but I really like this guy. I think he's potentially if he waits a year could be a first rounder. Um well, who knows maybe with a stellar tournament maybe he could be a first rounder. But um yeah, Tabellis is smart. He's he's an I- ideal uh, stretch four smart player, rebounds, uh, has some hops. Um he's he's a very athletic european player um i mean not very athletic <laughs> i'm saying you know generally europeans no generally mm-hmm. europeans are not overly athletic uh and uh i think he's better than average for your a, for a european um then we talked about isaiah mobley a lot of these guys as you notice are kind of like stretch four types um mobley compared to his brother um I, I don't think he's nearly as athletic. Um, I don't think his feet are as quick, um, but he has a nice shot. And, um, you know, he, he can definitely drive it. If you if you overplay him on the perimeter, he'll, he can get by you. a good rebounder, good shot blocker. Um, I'm not sure why people don't like him. They don't seem to like him as much as we do. Uh, I'm, I don't know. But anyway, Peyton Watson, who we talked about last week, uh, I I noticed that Peyton wasn't even on the floor yesterday. Um, A guy named Jaden Clark, a sophomore, has emerged, and he has been basically taking up uh, uh, Peyton Watson's minutes. They're they're similar players and uh, similar size, similar position, or the same position, basically, which would be like a wing or a small forward. Um, I think Peyton's a little taller than Jaden Clark, but um, yeah. You know, um, but they're similar. And um so yeah, Peyton has has been slipping um on our board. He was a a, a five star top 10 guy coming out, but he just hasn't gotten the playing time this year. Um, and as we said last week, his offense has been pretty dreadful. Uh 76, we have Jalen or Daylon Terry, excuse me. And uh Dalen is uh kind of uh Mr. Do Everything. Um he could play big point guard, he can play off guard, he can play wing, he rebounds, he passes, he's just uh another versatile guy on Arizona. Um and uh he was he was a pretty widely respected recruit. He's definitely a top 50 guy. He's only a sophomore, he's only 19, so there's a lot of room for growth for him. Um, But he's kind of their glue guy. And uh, last but not least, uh, now these are only the guys, Pac-12 guys on our top 100, is 85, and that's Marcus Bagley, who is Marvin Bagley's younger brother. Uh, Marcus has hardly played this year, and he didn't play a lot last year, all due to injury. Uh, I haven't heard any updates on him, but I doubt we're going to see him at this point. He played three games earlier in the season, and that's it. Um uh, Bagley is pretty athletic. Uh he's got a nice jump shot, so he's a better shooter than his brother. Not quite as big, uh probably not quite as athletic. Um yeah, I would say that's pretty safe to say he's not as athletic. So he, you know, I mean, I would say last year when he was playing regularly, I'd say probably people considered him a late first rounder, early second rounder. Now we have him at now he's all the way down to 85 and he's, he's just basically hanging on by what little we saw from him last year. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I can,
0: yeah, I can jump in for sure. And I like the Pac-12 prospects. I might, I might come in hot with some of my, I guess takes for lack of a better word. I'll start off with obviously our top player and like who's most universally understood to be the best guy in the Pac 12, Benedict Matherin. I love how fluid he is as an athlete. He's he moves effortlessly, he jumps effortlessly. He's not I wouldn't say he's an elite athlete, but he's just he's really good. He's a really good athlete vertically, speed-wise. Um he's not a stiff going to the basket. He's not a great shot creator. I think he's good, but he's not great enough for me to probably put him in the top five conversation. I think six, seven, eight is probably where he's gonna max out. Um, but he does have a lot of room to grow and a three-point shot, it looks really good to me. He has some three-point shooting off of movement, which would be really good if he has that sort of down pack by the time second, third year in the NBA. Um, so yeah, I like Benedict Mathurin a lot. Think he'll be a nice wing for some team. Uh, another guy I want to talk about is Harrison Ingram. Actually, before I do that, I might as well talk about Colocos and he plays on Arizona too. Yeah, rim runner, great shot blocker. He's mobile, like you said. Uh, I think he should be a second rounder. Probably, I probably would have him a little bit later in the second round. I uh, just feel like there's some guys I'd rather take a shot on that have higher ceilings than Coloco. Not that Coloco doesn't have a nice ceiling for himself, but just, I don't know. I think he he is what he is in terms of defense first. We'll catch a lob here. Maybe show some touch around the basket unless he uh, improves his offense farther than I can uh, imagine. Now to Harrison Ingram. I think you're a little bit low on him, if I have to say so myself. I think Ingram has a bit better feel, and I I do think those comparisons you gave were interesting, but he definitely leans a lot less scoring than the Adrian Dantley types and Carmelo Anthony. He's more of a rebound push. He'll shoot a three here and there, but like you said, he's more mid-range and powerful. Um, He definitely can shed some weight. He's not... He, he doesn't look out of shape, but he doesn't look at, like he's in great shape for basketball. Um, so I think for sure if he gets in the weight room slash sheds some pounds, that can maybe unearth some of that uh, latent athleticism that he has under in his body. And he's a freshman, so he's very young still. Um, but yeah, I also like I also like his his understanding of the game. He doesn't seem he does take some bad shots. Everyone does that is a first year. Um, but he has some nice passes. He has some nice drives to the hoops and can kick out to the three-pointer, which I think can't be underrated for a first-year player that's not a traditional point guard. He doesn't really have a position. He can play power forward. He can play on the wing. Sometimes he brings it up like he's a guard. Um, So he he, he intrigues me a lot, and I probably would take a shot at him probably late first round if he did come out. Nothing wrong with staying another year, but if he did come out, I probably would want to take a shot at him.
1: Yeah, one thing I didn't mention, and you're absolutely correct, is he's a good passer. He's a good passer. He sees the floor well, uh, makes good decisions. Uh, and they use him a fair amount in the pick and roll. Um, the thing the thing of it is, is a score in the pick and roll, he's, he's not very effective. But when you throw in the passing, he becomes effective. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's one thing I overlooked. Yeah, for sure,
0: for sure. And hopefully this tournament, he may show more of that passing um, and improves in some of his areas that he's weak at uh Johnny Juzang I'm a little bit lower on him I, obviously we don't like having him too high but I don't think I just don't see it with him sticking in a rotation his jump shot's cool obviously he's, he's a good shooter uh however he settles for a lot of tough shots and he has to because he's not that athletic he's not that great of a ball handler to get by defenders um he's not a, a physical finisher at the basket See, so, yeah, I think I, I just don't have a lot of confidence, and he could play just as well or close to the level he did last year because he had the, the awesome tournament. I just don't see it with Johnny Juzang.
1: He's also not a great defender.
0: Yeah, he's not a great defender. He's skinny at six five ish, six six uh, as a wing shooting guard type. Uh, other two, the last two guys I want to talk about is Peyton Watson and Dalen Terry. Peyton Watson, it's, it stinks that he's not good enough to crack the rotation. Obviously, he was a highly touted player coming out of high school, out of California. Uh, I was really intrigued with his defensive potential, actually, before, uh, like his offense. He's long, he's athletic, he can move, he's flexible. It's just that he hasn't, he is just is not ready yet to play on a court for a very uh, veteran-heavy UCLA team between Hawkins, between Tiger Campbell, Obviously, we talked about Johnny Drew It's a, it's a lot of a lot of people on the on the court. And we also talked about Jalen Clark, was the year on him at least, who's also defensive first. Um, but yeah, Peyton Watson, he probably should stay. He just hasn't he just hasn't shown enough. He just hasn't shown enough. It's that, it's that uh simple. And the last player, Dalen Terry. Now, this is probably my hottest take. <laughs> I hope you don't get too mad at me, but <laughs> I like Dalen Terry a lot. I, I think I would take him in the first round, like late first round. Uh again, his he's He's not the guy at Arizona. He's probably, like you said, the glue guy, probably the fourth most important player after Tabellus. I would even have Coloco above him, obviously, Benedict Mathurin. Um, but I love Dalen Terry's game. And he's enormous out there, dude. He's 6'7. Uh, he, he looks tall, the, taller to me than 6'7 on the court. I'm not sure if it's just because his wingspan may be that long. Uh, but yeah, he's Mr. Do It All, Mr. Do Everything. I think he's not just a good passer, I think he's a great passer. His assist numbers aren't too crazy. I think he averages maybe less than four or five, um, but when he does have the minutes to go and and the role to go and create, he's impressive. And he grabs rebounds, he can make layups. His jump shot needs a lot of work. His jump shot is nowhere close to a finished product and he may not get that get to that level to be a passable shooter. He has to load up and be wide open to shoot it, pa- takes, uh, passes up threes pretty often. Um, but yeah, and Dale and Terry's a good ball handler, too, at his size, at his size. Um, I think his, if he stays another year, I think he'll definitely be a first rounder, like no question about it. If this is his sophomore year, I think by next year when he has more room to, to create and be the, the lead guy, it's going to take off. But was thousand NBA team that has uh, a pretty good infrastructure with the, in their G League situation or G League system slash wants to take a flyer and, and get this guy before he's fully ready. Um, maybe it's not exa- an exact comparison. Obviously, Josh Primo was a freshman, but a Josh Primo situation. And obviously, I wouldn't take him that high. Uh, Dalen Terry in this draft. But Josh Primo situation where obviously he's not ready, but you see the potential. You see the talent. He You just get him just so you have him in, in the system. So by second, third year, then he's able to get um, some real reps in the NBA. Um, and he's also a solid defender. He's not a slouch yeah. on defense, too. I so Dalen Terry... His numbers aren't crazy; they're not blowing with socks off, but just the eye test and seeing where he can easily go and the pathways for him to grow as a player. He might have maybe the second highest ceiling out of the guys that we talked about from the Pac-12 after Ben DeMather, I think he probably has the second highest ceiling. So yeah, that's my hot take.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I no, I would not. I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, I I would basically say you know. I'm, my strategy for for the draft board has always been: I don't like to overreact. I don't like uh, you'll see it like somebody will ha- you'll see at this tournament somebody will have a good tournament. He won't be on anybody's board, and then all of a sudden they'll be like at twenty overall. And it's like, how can that be? The guy's played thirty games before this, and how do you go from not being anywhere to being twenty overall? And so I, I tend to be conservative, you know, as I move them up and so terry started off um you know off our top 200 um but every time i watch arizona it's like you said he doesn't stand he doesn't stand out in an individual area he stands out in the fact that he's so impactful overall and um and yeah, p- passing is one of my favorite things about him, is his passing. So yeah, and, and I could see him being used in so many ways. I mean, he's kind of Mr. V- versatility. Um, and so yeah, first round, n- n- not definitely not out of the question. And no, uh, yeah, 100%, 100%.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean, we're, and we're three months away, yet, or, you know, from the, or actually four, almost four months away. So we have plenty of time to move him up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, uh, it just takes a few, good, a few great games in the tournament, and then people will overreact, like you said, and maybe run them up to higher in the first round. I'll still have him nowhere higher than 25 because it just is a big risk. Like he's, again, he's only averaging maybe six or seven points for this team. Um, not that scoring's everything, but that's obviously low production for someone that's going to be a late first rounder as a 19, 20 year old. Um, but yeah, I just see, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm projecting a little bit of what I can easily see him becoming instead of what he is right now. Um, right. Because, yeah, he's not a perfect player. He was really – if he was a 6'7", awesome point guard, then he would be much higher. But there's a reason why he's much lower on our board overall and why he may be better off staying another year.
1: Right. And, and, and we'll find out from our guests. But, I mean, I would – I'm going – I would say behind Matherin, He's probably the second most valuable player on that team.
0: Yeah, no, you have a good argument for that one. Even if Tabellis, even though Tabellis is a really good scorer, uh, really good hands, um, very reliable running down the court and stealing uh, someone in the post. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think Dale and Terry can easily be an X factor for Arizona
1: and nice. what, what, one thing i was just going to say about that team is i just love how it's put together it's it's almost like you know how when you're putting it together like an nba M- 2k team and you like you envision okay what do i want here so you know you have you have terry and um kirkricia uh, at the guards, and, and Krecia can hit him from you know the logo, and he's a good passer. Terry's not the, not the great shooter, but he's a great passer, and he can he can defend the big guards. Um, you have Tabellis, who could stretch the floor, and is a solid rebounder and can even play the center if you want him to. You have Coloco, who can play center or power forward. Um, you know, Ballo coming off the bench. You know, have uh, Pella Larson coming off the bench, who kind of gives you a little bit of everything. Uh, Justin Kerr, who's a combo guard, um, who can actually fill it up. You know, he can, he can go on his streaks and give you, like, six, seven instant points. You know, it's just kind of the mm-hmm. team just kind of perfectly molds together in, in, uh, in this way.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, they have a lot of different things that they can do. They don't, they, can, they don't have to just win one specific way. They can win in a variety of ways. They have a lot of lineup versatility, like we already talked about. Sometimes Balo and Coloco plays together, and they're both over seven feet tall. A twin towers lineup, or you can go small and play Matherin Kerr and dalen Terry, and have uh, Justin in there as well, who's also very physical, even though he's probably around six four ish. Um, but yeah, no, I love Arizona. They have a really good chance not just winning the, the tournament, the Pac twelve tournament, but even winning the entire uh, March Madness.
1: Yep, I agree.
0: It's time to bring on this week's special guest. Bruce Pasco, who has covered the Pac-12 for more than 20 years for both the Sporting News and the Arizona Daily Star. Now a senior reporter for the Daily Star, Bruce is one of the top sources in the country on the Arizona Wildcats. Bruce, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today?
2: Thanks, for guys. Pretty good.
0: Great. All right, let's get right into it. Bruce, if you don't mind, we'd like to start with talking about the conference in general. What are your thoughts on just Three Pac-12 teams making the quote-unquote big dance. Can, anyone other te- can any other team realistically emerge during the conference tourney? And ultimately, which teams do you see winning or which team do you see winning the title?
2: Well, yeah, I think it's been a little bit of a disappointing year for the conference overall on that end. Certainly, it's, it's just three for sure. But I think Colorado has an argument if they do well this, this week. And there's actually a decent chance they could get Arizona on Friday in the semifinals. And if that happens and if they beat them again, then you'd think they would be in for sure. They might even have an argument before that because they have beaten Arizona. Um, But, but all these teams, you know, Colorado, Washington state, Oregon, even Stanford. I mean, all of them at one point during the season seemed like they were right on the cusp and then they just, you know, fell backwards. And, and, you know, especially Oregon's probably been the biggest surprise in a, in a disappointing way, uh, you know, and that they seem to have, they've always had this history. They have, they've loaded up on transfers more than more than most teams, even before it sort of became a fad, you know, where you're building transfers and they've been really good about Dana Altman's getting these guys together. And usually by February, they figured out and they're really good. At the end of the season this year started to look like it happened and then they just fell apart again. So, and now they're looking like a team that's going to have to win the PAC 12 tournament to get in. And, and they could, because they do have a lot of talent still. And sometimes in that, you know, that tournament environment, teams like that that are super talented and, and maybe have had some chemistry issues or whatever, they just get it together for that one week. And, you know, that could happen. But but other than that, I'd say, you know, outside of them winning or, or you know, maybe Colorado winning a couple games and, and getting in and in that large, I, I would think that would be the only way for the top – other than the top three.
0: Yeah, and a quick follow-up. What do you think of USC? Um, I'm not sure a lot of people thought they would be this good. Do you think they're like a real – much madness contender
2: yeah i do because they're so they're so long and they they are they're versatile they've got they've got they literally can start a lineup like a guard and four six nine guys i mean it's it's pretty impressive and you know the uh, juke peterson uh you know they have he's six eight six nine himself he's basically like a kind of a combo guard and he can do a lot of things he's sort of in the middle of everything they do and then uh, up front they've got a lot of long guys uh length length athleticism and, and they're really experienced too they lost evan Mobley, and it was easy to kind of discount them for that but the fact is that almost everybody else came back and and this is a team that went to the elite eight last year so you know they they could easily do do a run like that again
1: hey bruce um i'm, I'm gonna kind of stick with tj's question and uh don't think I'm picking on the PAC 12 here, but um, you know, is, you know, last year in the tournament, you know, it looked like they had kind of turned the corner. uh, But as you said, you know, they they've kind of regressed this year and in for the last six, seven years, if you look at them, you know, they kind of been teetering on that mid major line, you know, as a conference, you know, they're kind of like of the big six, they're always kind of like kind of bringing up the rear with the big six. So, do you think that's a fair assessment, you know, uh, of me and, and, and then, uh, what do you, what do you think's going on there because the pac 12 just doesn't seem to be, you know, like I said, you know, it looked like they were getting it together and you expected even bigger things this year. And, and here we are again, they're struggling to get, uh, any more than three teams in.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's fair. I mean, they're usually around four or five, and sometimes six if it's a down year. I think right now, I think Ken Bomb's got them at five, and that's probably fair. You know, I think it, it's it's a little tricky. I mean, you know, the, the 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 standard line is usually that it's cyclical because most of the conference depends on talent throughout the West, and sometimes that's there, and sometimes it's not. And then in a lot of years. The Pac-12 and I—I I always wrote this like sometimes for my annual previews. Like, the, the, for many, many years, that the conference has done better in June in the NBA draft than it does in in March because they get these guys. They, you know, before they've long had a history of one and done or two and out guys. Uh, you know, even before again that became fashionable, and so they just have had a hard time of uh, you know keeping keeping telling around. I mean, you know, guy, you know. um, I mean, you can go back to, um, you know, just, just a, a, a number plate, even those, those great UCLA teams and the um, you know, 05, 06, 07, you know, they, Kevin Love the those kind of guys that just wouldn't stick around. OJ Mayo at USC. I mean, just um, just Arizona has guys that leave after a year or two every year and they multiple guys like that. So it's just, it seems like, um, you know, it's been a little bit of both, but, and just sort of hard to sustain some kind of balance. And, and because of where it's at, again, geographically, a little bit more limb, probably a little bit more um, restricted to the talent in its backyards than some other conferences, which, you know, may have more talent to choose from and occasionally get a national guy. It's, it's not that not that normal you get a big-time player in the Pac-12 who comes from other parts of the country. Usually they're from the West or they're international.
1: Right. Right. What What do you think about the strength of schedule outside of conference? Cause I was like trying to assess Colorado's chances today. And I was looking at their, you know, out of conference schedule, um, and it was, it was it was weak um and and it seems like a lot of the the pac-12 teams are not getting in there and, and 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 one of the disadvantages they have is like all these other conferences have these play against each other events and the pac-12 isn't in one of those um has there already been talk about beefing up the you know the out of conference schedule
2: well, there, yeah, there is actually. And they have, hey, believe me, believe better. Believe it or not, it actually was worse. And they have actually made a, a concerted effort to do that. And their their goal has been, uh, I think the goal is generally to try and schedule so you will win at least 75% of your games. You never really know, of course, and sometimes you're scheduling a year or two out and you don't know who you're going to have. But that's sort of been the goal. So all the way down, you know, through one through 12. So the twelve team, theoretically, you might want to schedule, you know, Maybe a few more mid majors than than teams more towards the top, so they could hit that goal. And uh, because they know they've done all the analytics and studied how you know the strength of schedule brings everybody down, um, and so they have made efforts that way. You know, and and I think conference wise, that's been a little bit of a problem with that. You know, um, they have started. Well, now they're in alliance with with the ACC and the Big Ten, and we'll see if that actually produces any more games. Um, you know, of consequence than there already are that may or may not. We don't, they haven't been real specific about that. And, and, and then they also have, and this will be a bad thing for their, for their uh, it might be a bad thing for their, their record, but they actually are going into an, uh, an agreement with some HBCUs for next couple of years, which is a great thing in many ways, but you know, some of those HBCUs may be in the two 250, 300 range and that, that could bring down everybody. So you, you have that going on. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a little, a little unfortunate, but I think they are making an effort to at least, at least get the single non-conference games, uh, you know, for the most part in, in better shape, you know, and I think Colorado, you pointed at that they scheduled maybe a little bit low, uh, because they had, they knew they have a pretty young team. They're actually right. sort of in a cycle. They're actually sort of an old fashioned program where they actually get guys and, and try and keep them two, three, four years. And they lost a lot of seniors last year. Um, and we're we're kind of youngish this year coming in. Plus, they were supposed to have a home game against Kansas, and that got canceled because of COVID and never made wow. up. So they that that might have been a real boost for them if they had it. And that was a home game where who knows they might even won it.
1: Right. Right. Okay. I'm gonna pass you back to TJ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about time we get to the Wildcats. So, how does this Arizona team compare to past Arizona squads? And do you think this team can win it all?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think their ceilings be unlimited. And I certainly wouldn't have said that in October, or November. And I don't think anybody else would have either. I mean, they were they were not ranked. They were picked to finish fourth in the Pac-12. Um, but it's proven to be really kind of a perfect mix of uh, a lot of international guys that are pretty talented, um, you know, athletic uh, team guys. And, and then you have Tommy Lloyd coming in as the coach. Most of the players were from Sean Miller. But Tommy Lloyd came in with a system where they appeared to fit probably even better. And then they also had another, you know, a year of experience. Uh, You know, they they were mostly freshmen last year, sophomores this year, had the full off season to work with Tommy Lloyd and get used to that system. Whereas as freshmen, they came in that COVID year where they were basically just cold and just showed up here in Tucson in August and, and they did what they could. So it was a much different deal this year. Um, you know in retrospect we probably should have seen it coming a little bit more but you you never really know how a new system new coach is going to play out Um, but that but their their ceilings really un- unlimited and I think it's probably to, to me the, the thing that strikes me is that they're very good both offensively and defensively as much as you talk about Tommy Lloyd's offense and you know they're up tempo they love to score and they love to push it but their defense is really really good they have a great rim protector and Kristen Coloco who's actually a Pretty versatile defender sometimes they have two seven footers with the, uh, umar balo goes goes out there and then they put coloco out on the wing you know and he's seven foot and he's garden guys on the perimeter you I mean you just don't see that stuff so they have they have a lot of things about them i think the only drawback is that they're still relatively young they don't have any tournament experience and Sabalo was a was a reserve for Bala, for gonzaga last year And uh, there's not a whole lot of margin for error. They play eight guys and they basically only have eight guys and and a couple of freshmen who may, may come along in the future. But so they kind of need, you know, they kind of need a little, you know, to make sure they have a little bit of luck here or there, but, but certainly talent wise and chemistry wise, they, they, they seem like they can do it for sure.
0: Yeah. No. So do you think that the deaf issue may be more significant reason for why they may get bounced out than the lack of experience?
2: Well, I mean, assuming, no, well, you know, it could go either way. I would say probably the lack of experience, because to me, I mean, it's not only that, but they've only had one game. They have an overtime game against Wichita State super early, and they had a four-point loss at Tennessee, and they beat Oregon by three. But other than that, literally, they've had, they haven't had a single game decided by one or two points all year. They just haven't been in a lot of close games, and they don't have any experience. So I guess that's my, my thought, is that if they get in one of those games, maybe a defensive game and they just, uh, you know, really are maybe struggling with their shot or something. And, and, and it gets down to one possession and, and, you know, you're seeing your season on the line there. That, that'd be, that'd be my concern if I was them, um, you know, especially, but, but again, the depth could definitely play a factor obviously with injury, but also Coloco and Azulis to sometimes, you know, they'll, the bigs will get in foul trouble and that's actually what happened at Tennessee. Those two guys weren't the same. And, and that makes it that makes a huge difference, obviously. So it, it, those two things for sure could, could play a factor.
1: Um Bruce, before before you came on, um TJ and I I, I kind of described Arizona's roster construction as almost perfect. It's kind of like everybody is kind of plugs in there, um, but as you said, it's only eight. But of those eight, and they all play vital roles um is there one guy that you consider unheralded um for what he does uh and someone who maybe deserves some more recognition for his contributions
2: well you know that's that's a great question there's there's a lot of guys you could say that about i think probably i mean umar bala the other seven footer i spoke of he is getting a lot of recognition now so i would have said him maybe a month ago because he's really come on but 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 i think probably the guy more than anybody in that spot would be pella larson who's a kind of a reserve guard off the bench, plays almost starters minutes. Um, and he's probably, he might be their best, you know, uh, perimeter defender on the team. He's actually a guy in smaller, you I know, mean, Pac-12 has a lot of smaller lineups where the four is like kind of a hybrid guy, maybe six, five, six, six. If they have that guy, a lot of times they put Pella Larson on him and take Azulas Tabellas off or move him to five. And, so, so Larson, I think on both sides of the ball really helps him. He's a pretty good shooter and, you know, uh, he's not a bad uh, playmate passer as well. He was actually the starting point guard for the end, uh, at the end of the season last year for Utah. So he's the kind of guy I think, you know, that really, really helps him in a lot of ways. And, and he's come on as the year uh, has progressed. Um, he broke his foot in August playing for the national team in, in Sweden and then missed. So basically missed the whole postseason and really, you know, took a while to get going. And it wasn't until the after new year's where he really took off and I, I, you know, so I think, I think he's played a pretty big role right now. Okay.
1: And so looking at those same eight guys from a different perspective, uh, is the one, I mean, the five starters are all on our draft board and our draft board goes 200 deep. So, yeah. Yeah. so um, yeah, but uh Four of the five are in our top 100. But having said that, um, Matherin is clearly, we have Matherin clearly above everybody else. Um, so is there anyone on the team? Do you think, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that Matherin's going to be, you know, no worse than a good pro. Um, is there anybody else that you, uh, you know, you're definitely like, yeah, he's definitely going to, he's got it. He's going to be a good pro too.
2: Well, I think, I think, you know, um, I think Coloco, if he develops a little more offensively, I mean, he might even make it right now just because he, he's so, you've he, he got that defensive niche that he can do some things that just some, there's just not a lot of guys that can do at his size. But I think Daylon Terry is a guy, if he develops a little more, um, I could see him playing in the league as long as any of these guys. He just, he's not quite there yet, but he does everything for this team. And he's, uh, he's really long and athletic. Um, he just, you know, maybe needs to develop a little more offensively. Um, you know, defensively, he's pretty good. I think you can get even better there. And, um, you know, he's, he's, and he's, you know, all indications are he's, he's a, he's a fun guy. People like playing with him. He's a good locker room guy. I just, you know, I could definitely see him doing well. He's, you know, he, he and Matherin kind of came in together. In fact, Dalen actually started over Matherin at the beginning of the freshman year. And I think partly because Sean Miller you know, and Sean Miller used to say this, that, that Terry had this huge upside, and I think he wanted to just throw him out there and see if it happened. And it didn't happen quite right away, and it turned out Matherin was really, really good right away. Uh, but but Terry's going to be there. You know, he's going to be there in the long run. Okay.
0: Yeah, earlier we talked about Dale and Terry, and he's really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, moving outside of Arizona now, are there, any, uh, is, are there any other guys that have really impressed you this season? in regards to maybe some NBA hopes?
2: Well, you know, that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys, you know, it's interesting. That, that's a good question because there's a lot of guys around the league that are, there's a couple of younger guys, like a guy like Jalen Clark at UCLA who's coming off the bench. He could develop into an NBA guy. I think he's expected to, but, like, he's not he's, – he's not even starting for that team for, for the most part right now because again, UCLA, like a lot, a lot of teams has a lot of those kind of really good college players that, that maybe aren't going to translate into, you know, first round picks or whatever, but, you know, a guy like, like Jaime Hawkins at UCLA, who does a lot of stuff. He's, you know, uh, very versatile and, you know, plays super hard. And I think, I think he's getting some NBA attention, but he's not going to be a high pick, or, or, you know, or anything like that. So, but he, he's one of guys that, that's kind of, kind of fun to watch that way. And you know i think i mean just personally i think Terrell Brown who played here last year and then went to washington and just became this ridiculous scorer for them i mean like i don't i don't think he's necessarily an nba player he doesn't even shoot threes basically but but just just the volume that he scores and what he's done to lift up that team he's been really fun to watch and i'm sure he's going to make a lot of money somewhere i don't know i don't know where exactly but so there you know there, there there's some some things like that for sure
1: okay and i'm going to keep on drilling you with draft questions <laughs> Well,
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I always, I always say though, the thing is, I know, I see these guys as the college player. I'm not necessarily an expert right. on. No, no, I always, like, sometimes, like with Maffern, you can see, okay, this guy's like a prototypical right. NBA player, but some, you know, other times it's, it's, you know, it's hard to tell.
1: Of course. Of course. Um, but I just wanted to throw a couple names at you and you already mentioned one. So you don't have to talk about him. And that was Jalen Clark. These were oh. guys that, that right now I would say are off the radar, but uh, I could see them uh, in a year or two, um, you know, uh, especially the, the guy I'm going to mention now is F.A. uh a, Right. Right. And, uh, the other guy, um, is Brandon Carlson. Now I know he's a little older, but he's kind of just coming into his own. Now. Um, what are your thoughts on those two big guys?
2: Wow. That's interesting. You know, I mean, they both, yeah, they both have different kind of niches. You could, you could see that. I, I wouldn't think that I don't even know if either of them would ever get drafted, but they could make a team or maybe they'd be a second round pick or something, but F a actually probably has a little more upside just because he, uh, you know he is pretty athletic for his size and and can do a lot of stuff and uh, you know I think he he'd be you know pretty good defensively. Um, Carlson's I really surprised me just how well he's played and he's played a lot better in that system with Craig Smith than he did last year under Larry Kostoviac and um, gained from uh, you know just just a lot a lot more emphasis on him and and so. You know, and he's a, he's a really big guy. He can you know, he's pretty versatile. Can score, can score a lot. Um, you know, in different ways too, and, and stretch a little bit too. So, you know, whereas whereas Abhijiti, kind of more of a physical guy around around the basket, really. Um, but but again, pretty athletic. So you know, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So we'll we'll move away from the draft. Oh. One other guy I wanted to ask you, though, uh, is uh, Bagley. Have you heard anything about Bagley? I mean, uh, we haven't seen or hair of him pretty yeah. much the whole season. Yeah,
2: it's injuries, and they're being kind of – there's not a whole lot of information out about that as far as what actually is going on. But, um, yeah, no, he hasn't been much of a factor. Uh, I mean, he hasn't been a factor because this is what he's played. I'm looking at it here. What, three
1: games, I think. Three
2: games, yeah, yeah, and – and that was, I mean, that was a little mild surprise it even came back. I mean, that whole team basically left last year and, you know, I, I i don't know. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of rumblings about what's going on with that. And and honestly, I'm not close enough to that situation to really know, but, but he's, okay. he's been hurt. I think it's legit. He just, you know, I don't know whether, you know, what's going to happen, but I mean, certainly he's, he's talented. I mean, he's, he's got a shot to become something if he gets, gets healed and can string some games together and show people what he can do it's just been limited because last year he was in a in a weird situation where that whole team kind of imploded you know so much perimeter talent and it just wasn't a good fit and then this year him being hurt so yeah
1: well he was hurt for part of last year too yeah
2: yeah part yeah not as much
1: no 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 i think he got like 18 games in i think okay so if he's Please stick around for uh, our mailbag. We've got a couple questions here. Uh, our mailbag segment always features copious amounts of uh, nonsense. Um, <laughs> um, so listeners, uh, if you want to email, email questions to the mailbag segment of the show, uh, you can do so at podcast at hoops, prospects.com. Um, so First question is from Dave in Arizona, and he wants to know if you have any Bill Walton stories.
2: Um, well, that I mean, of course I do. I mean, Bill Walton has, Bill Walton, I can, I can just... has his own stories, but um, I mean, for me, just, I I literally was interviewing him to try and do a profile on him probably about five years ago in, the, in one of the hotels here in town. And he says, yeah, come meet me for breakfast. And, and he was great. But like, but literally every third sentence or so he would stop and he'd say something about the grateful dead's going to have this album released this summer. And you've got to hear this song. And and then he'd say, and I'm the luckiest man ever. That's like his favorite line, Just um, <laughs> you know, I mean, just, just things like that. But, but I tell you what, he's, he's, um, you know, he actually was remarkably well-prepared. He, he tells stories about players that, even players sometimes on Arizona that he'll tell little tidbits that I don't even know. And just, you know, because he does, he does a lot of homework. So I'll, I'll say that he just, but it's, it's funny. His train of thought is, is I'll say unusual. And and I think we all know that if you, if you've watched him, and it's very polarizing too. people either, you know, every time I, I think probably the fun, and this isn't really a story, but one thing is anytime I tweet like Bill Walton's going to do Arizona's next game, it'll be, Half of the people say I can't wait. Uh, you know, I'm going to record it. Blah blah blah. And the other half of people say I'm going to turn on the radio and listen to that. <laughs> so, you
1: know, um, yeah, Bill. But, Bill is definitely um, acquired taste.
2: Yeah, yeah, but but you know he's 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 fun. That's for sure. Yeah, and just the, just it, it's really hard. It was really hard in that interview just to pin him down and say, but but can we go back to this? Can I ask you about it? <laughs> And you see on the on the on the TV when you see it, Dave Pass is the best at it when when you see those two guys Pass is really good about saying okay Bill and then back to the you know or or whatever or you know he has a way to transition quickly out of that and it's that's a that's an acquired skill I'll tell you
1: oh yeah definitely uh, <laughs> all right so the next question is from Mark from Washington and he asks what's an interesting difference between Sean Miller and Tommy Lloyd um. Probably,
2: I think probably just their personality. I mean, they're both, the interesting thing is they're both kind of like, uh, you know, emotions on their sleeve. They, they let you know what's going on, but Miller is so much more intense. And I think, you know, Tommy Lloyd is, and, and that may be their background or whatever. Tommy Lloyd's from small town, Washington. He's laid back guy, you know, blue collar upbringing. And, you know, he has that era about him, even though he's very, very smart. Whereas Miller also is very smart, but just he's super wound up, and you know he'll. It's just I think that's probably the biggest difference. They're just you know I think you know and I, and I think some players responded really well to Miller like that, you know, and you know, and some players maybe respond better to to Tommy Lloyd and and the way the way he is that way, but but uh, and, and I'd say in general. Probably Miller's a little more of a private guy. I don't think Lloyd is super comfortable with the spotlight, but he's getting a little more so, I think, because he knows he has to now. But, you know, I, I don't think Miller ever really loved talking to us or or anything else, He's very, even though he was ironically a very good speaker, you know, and still is, of course.
1: Right. All right. So that's it for the mailbag. But I just uh, just want to throw one more thing in and then we'll let you go. Uh, As you were talking about Tommy Lloyd, it just struck me. uh, I know a lot of people talk about Greg Gard for Coach of the Year. Uh, A lot of people here in the East have been um, talking about and I'm going to draw a blank. Help me out, TJ Providence. Ed Cooley, Ed Cooley, Ed Cooley Cooley in Providence. And um, what do you think? You think Tommy Lloyd's going to get some serious uh, traction for coach of the year?
2: I mean, I'm too close to it to tell, but I would think so. I mean, but obviously Cooley, he's surprised everybody with that. And he's been a bit well-respected. And I know, you know, from knowing Sean Miller, they were good friends and Miller always spoke super highly of them and, you know, they actually played once and, you know, it was just, yeah, a great game. So I, that could be one of them i think you know uh with, with 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 hey i don't know i mean with 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 the way wisconsin's kind of come on except for what is it you know the way they ended it here but um but they've been something too i just i don't know how nationally you know i just don't ha- i'm too close to it to have that big picture perspective but i do know here he's well exceeded expectations the only thing that i think is that might hurt tommy lloyd's candidacy a little bit is you could say well his best players are all Sean Miller's players. He didn't recruit this team. If you include that as your definition of what a coach of the year has to have it, he has to have players uh, that he brought in and he built that, you know, then, then maybe you don't vote for him. But I mean, as far as taking a team uh, and, and coaching it on the floor and developing a chemistry and a style, but you know, he's definitely way, way exceeded expectations. there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it, Bruce. Yeah. TJ, <laughs> you want to close this out?
2: Of course again
0: folks email your questions to us at podcast at hoops i want to thank bruce Pasco for joining us today and thank you to all of our listeners we will be back next week for our march madness special which will feature guest appearances from two sharpshooters wyoming's drake jeffries and the Maine celtics tyler hagedorn it should be a very fun episode as we will pick a group bracket and make individual final four and championship picks Make sure to join us.